0: So just being able to sit down and talk about it and share my story, because oftentimes yeah. for me, people look at me like a douchebag, a tool job, he's filling mm-hmm. himself. And people don't know that I didn't have an easy life too, mm-hmm. you know, and sharing my story, sharing my perspective on things and sharing my trauma, yeah, hopefully inspires other people to realize, hey, I can do it too. And yeah. someone is out there to listen.
1: You're a high achiever. On paper, and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you, I am you. So get your best fighter's face on, sit down and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at KarenGoldfingerBaker.com. My guest today is actor and entertainer Percy Brown. On the surface, it's not likely that Percy and I would ever cross paths. He hails from the projects in New York City, he spent time in the foster care system, he loves chess and Marvel characters, and he's a 28-year-old Black man. And yet, here we are, in conversation. And it's a good one. Lively, meaningful, heartfelt. If you hear nothing else, listen for what connects us all, our humanity, hopes, dreams, desires, great hair, and possibility. What I love about this conversation is the open-hearted way Percy shows up, opens up. And his way of being serves as a reminder to me that when we step into the thing we truly are, we glow a warm light that connects all of us. And it's all right here, right now, in the Trauma Hiders Club. Percy, I'm so glad you're here.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. So Percy reached out to me through. I've talked about it a couple of times through the Tinder app for podcast so yes. hosts and podcast guests. Yeah, um, it makes like a connection right based on keywords and the algorithm and blah, blah, blah. And it was interesting because there wasn't like anything. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, Percy, but there wasn't anything that was like really like trauma trauma-based in your profile but what there was there is there anything in your profile no there isn't no (laughs) no but what there was that really stuck out to me was like I I don't really know what it says but here's my take on it I am an amazing dude with phenomenal takes and I want to share myself and my perspective on the world with people and have bigger stages than talking to myself and the people around me. And there was something, um, I, I do remember it was, you had a line about your hair, which is so true. And it's something like, with all this great hair, you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it is great hair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So listeners, you can look at the episode art. We're going to make sure the picture has your hair. Yeah. So <laughs> look at the episode art and you'll see Percy's hair. And we had a conversation where we got to know each other at this point, probably like six weeks ago or something like that. And I asked Percy a bunch of questions that could have been its own podcast. But what I came away with was, dude, you're so right. You really know yourself. You are someone with interesting takes and people need to hear those takes um, because you are a honest, loving, introspective Like student of the universe kind of guy. How old are you? I'm
0: 20. I just turned 28 last week.
1: I just turned 28. Fucking A man. Like (laughs) you're in between my two kids. (laughs) (laughs) So here's a grandmother talking to a young child. Um, No, I'm not a grandmother and you're not a young child. I didn't think you were a grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. But I could be, I clearly could be your mother. So clearly you know what the human connection is an incredible thing because here we are black man with incredible hair white woman with you can't tell percy because i have headphones on but dude i have incredible hair i could it's, tell i could see the curls Don't yeah worry, I yeah can see you them. see that although my headphones flatten it and yeah it's not so great so tell me something who was your hero when you were five? Oh, my hero when i was five
0: you know what i gotta say my hero when i was six years old, I would probably say The Flash. The Flash. Uh, The Flash. I love The Flash. I'm still a huge fan of The Flash. It's because he had a unique ability you don't really see. You know, we oftentimes think of, you know, as courageous people, people flying, you know, feats of strength, uh, demolishing buildings and, you know, Superman, those type of things. But The Flash was a guy who, don't get me wrong, has incredible powers, but he was able to do things many other people can't do, like go back in time, change time, uh, run faster than time. And time is a very important thing in our society. We operate on time. And so being able to do that uh, was something that I appreciated. Plus, I, I thought his superpowers was amazing, too. But uh, yeah, The Flash was definitely my favorite. You know, even to this day, I still yeah. love The Flash.
1: So at five, you recognize that like time travel was a cool thing i would say at that time i didn't understand yeah how cool it was but
0: i think you know as i started getting older i really understood um i just thought you know at that age it was cool to do that and i would see like um i would see him run back into the you know back in time and have a duplicate version of himself and yeah and stuff like that and I thought it was cool. You know, it was like, uh, have you ever seen like the iconic Spider-Man picture was like the three Spider-Mans pointing at each other? Yes. Uh, It was like that in a sense. And this is like way before that. But um, as I started getting older, I really understood time and what that meant and how important it is to people. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you don't think about time, you know, but as you get older, you realize time is important. Um, there's many things we wish, oh, I wish I could go back in time and do this better. Yeah. Or, you know, I wish I could do that, you know, over again. If I had the the opportunity to make a different choice, I would, you know, and that's all time. So it's it's definitely something that I developed as I got older.
1: Yeah, that's a cool one. When I, if I'm to ask myself the same question, who was my hero when I was five? If I came to superheroes, I really liked, I'm surprised about this, but I, I really liked Batman. And what surprises me about that was like, I was just a wacko kid. So like Batman feels kind of mainstream, sort of like everybody liked Batman. What I liked about Batman, I think (laughs) it's coming to me. It's also sort of surprising. One, he had this like chiseled face, like the original Batman. Yeah. Original bat, like, cause that's how old I am could watch it on my TV, you know, with the whole, like, putting the climbing buildings, but they're actually tilting the camera. You know, they're actually, (laughs) yeah. I did not like Robin. I was really irritated by Robin. Yeah, I found him really irritating and childish, but I really like Batman. I thought, like, this is, this is like the definition of a manly man. And at five, don't ask me why my thoughts were about manly men. However, it stuck with me. So like when I started to like date guys, they were generally like kind of like dark haired with chiseled face. And <laughs> a little Bruce Wayne going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my husband has I mean, my husband is that. He's got he's the dark haired, sort of darkish guy with handsome, manly look about him. <laughs> uh so Batman clearly made an impression. But uh it was I guess it was more of a crush. I also I do know. I what I also liked about him was that he would say something directly but he was also really kind doing it. There was a politeness.
0: Yeah. I yeah. get what you mean. Batman yeah. is interesting.
1: Yeah. Like my house was chaotic. You know, if a man was saying something, like if my father was saying something and it was very direct, it probably came with yelling. Um Whether he was having fun or meant or was pissed off, it probably came with yelling. And there was like a softness, but also a command about Batman. I like that, that like, oh, wait, you can be two things at once. You can be clear, you can be kind and you can be soft. You can be three things all at once. Clear, kind, clear, kind and soft. You don't have to be like ramming shit down people's throats. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in
0: college, I took a class called voice and diction. And basically in that class, it it was a, a side of acting. So, you know, when I was doing theater, you know, when we think and when we when we hear about voices, we don't understand. Sometimes we don't process how, you know, you can say certain things and say it in different inflections and it mean different things, you know. And that's that was one of the cool things I picked up, because now I can realize that I can say the same word four different ways and it has a a subtle change and it has a difference but and that's probably why batman uh for a lot of people you like him and a lot of people like him because he has that that diction well shout out to the voice actor or the actor who's portraying him but it was something that you have to learn and really understand how voice and the way how you say things has an uh um impact and it's something that we don't think about but as I got to learn that, understand it, it really does change how you talk to people or how you say things.
1: Right, right. Can you give us an example? Um, can you think of a word that, depending on how you say it, has different impact? I,
0: so the, the first word that comes to mind is it's a New York term that we use. It's a New York word. Are we allowed to curse?
1: Yeah. It's a, okay. The fucking trauma heiders club. <laughs> I just want to make sure for the kids. For it the has kids. a big E for explicit on the show. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, I just want to make sure. All yeah, right, yeah. so this is not rated E for everybody. So we have a word called dead ass, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't understand this word, but it's de- it's basically a word that has multiple meanings. So let's say you say something I don't like. I'll say dead ass, you know, with you know a little more authority. Like you, you piss me off. Or if you tell me a funny story that happened when he was on vacation, I say, dead ass? Really? You know, and then, you know, if it's raining outside or something, I, I'm flushing. I'm like, dead ass. You know, so it's different ways you could say it, And that has multiple meanings. So that's just one word that we use a lot. I love it. To... <laughs>
1: that's great. I'm going to start using that. Dead ass. Uh, I started, yeah.
0: I, I started doing it uh, when I moved to LA in 2019. My, I remember my first job. I said that word and people looked at me like, what? And then by the second week, everybody was saying it. Everybody, so even awesome. a manager. <laughs> That's
1: great. That's great. So you talked about acting school. Tell us about acting.
0: Acting is an art form that a lot of people think is easy. And mm-hmm. it's definitely something that takes a lot of skill, a lot of dedication, a lot of passion. To create art, to create acting, it's an art form that you don't just learn. Some people have certain skills, right? Some things some people are born with being able to do naturally. But acting is a skill that, you know, when we see TVs and movies and stuff like that, it takes a lot of training, years of preparation, years of experience. Uh, It's like a doctor in a sense, not as dangerous in terms of, you know, you could kill somebody, but learning scripts, learning how to memorize lines, learning about character development learning about camera angles, learning about relationships between the actor, director, uh, you know, learning the, the business side of things. It's a, it's a very fascinating business. And I, I remember one of the guys, uh, I remember I came on my podcast. He was into business. So when we went to college together, he was into business. And so many of my friends back in college thought, Oh, I could do acting. I, it just give me the script. I'll memorize it and throw, go on stage. Right. And. For him, after two, three years in the corporate world, he got into acting. And I remember he he DM'd me. He said, Man, where do I start? Like this is a lot harder than I thought it was. I, I told him it's it's you know, when we watch the movies and stuff, for me, I understand what goes behind that. I know mm. how many hours, how much time, how much preparation, dedication goes into that. Um, and you know, schools, uh for me, I went to you know, high school. I studied in high school, I studied in college, I had a private coach. Um, I've taken classes. So this has been a 13 year journey since 2010 that I've been oh. on. And, you know, so many of our favorite actors, they've been in the industry longer than me. You know, they've been training longer than I've been alive. Mm-hmm. And it's to to accurately portray, for instance, I'll break it down for this. So let's say I get called to play a guy, a character who has a, a brain disorder and, He's in shambles, life in shambles, can't pay the rent, can't pay the mortgage. You know, life is just all over the place. You know, you're not going to want somebody who just goes up there and acts like a goofball. That's not what that character is. So many actors, this method acting, and, and, you know, we have the regular actors like myself, but so many people, they will study, they will go to, you know, mental institutions or Mm -hmm. hospitals or clinics, get to understand the backstory of someone who's, uh, experienced this or a family who's experienced that um, they would get to understand the role. Uh, what is it like to operate with, you know, a brain, um, you know, a, a brain disorder or even somebody who's blind, how do they go about the world? You know, and for acting is really about realism. You know, when we go to movies, we want to leave, you know, reality and be an escaped. So if you're watching a movie like that, you want to, f- you, you want to feel emotionally Uh, attached to the character. And it's a skill that takes many years. Not everybody has a skill to portray that. I know I can't. I'm not a guy who's going to portray that type of character. But I also understand the lengths that many actors go through. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's 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 a skill that takes many years of practice and fine tuning. And it's not as just memorizing a script. It's not just easy as you wake up in the morning and get a, a camera out and you have a high quality piece. It's much more moving parts to it. And it's very yeah. it's a fun. It's a fun um, career. And it's something that, you know, what you mentioned earlier about me. I'm very self-aware. Acting has made me very self-aware. Mm. And I think if I could recommend it to everybody, I would, you know, and I think a lot of people will go on a self-inspiring journey through mm. acting, whether well, it's good or bad, but I think it will teach you how to look at yourself and treat yourself.
1: Have you acted like have you been in Plays, productions, movies, whatever.
0: Oh, yeah. I I have over 50 credits of various. I'm more theater trained Um, from 2010 to 2018. I was theater. And then 2018. Let's
1: let's stay there for a minute. Tell us what you did and the parts you played. So at my high
0: school in upstate and upper west side of uh, Manhattan, I went to Urban Assembly for Performing Arts. We had a lot of partnerships. We had a a lot of celebrities who went to my school. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of grants and scholarships available for us to go study. But for me, one of the greatest things was we had a a company called Mm -hmm. Epic Theater. And this was a nonprofit organization that's, you know, been invited to the White House. Michelle Obama gave them an award for their human humanitarian efforts. But they're a, a company of professional actors, whether they've been on Broadway, TV, or, you know, just people who enjoy acting, but are professional at it. They come into certain high schools and they teach you about uh, acting. And one of the specialties is Shakespeare. So mm-hmm. throughout my high school and, mo- and college, too, but mostly high school, I did a lot of Shakespeare. So I did uh, uh, I did so many much to do about nothing. Mm-hmm. I was Don Pedro uh, Henry the six. I was Polixenes. twelfth night. I was Orsino. I did at least seven different Shakespeare plays. So cool. uh, Shakespeare is a hard. It's hard. A lot of people think it's easy. It's very hard. Shakespeare. I don't know how but, it could be
1: easy. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to read. I can't imagine it being any easier to act. <laughs> it, it, and, and that's
0: what I mean. Some people might say, okay, I could just learn how to say it and I can act it. No, it's, you know, I learned a technique, one of the professional actors, if I, I, I might be saying it wrong, but I believe it's called the, iamic potameter yeah so shakespeare you i'm sure you heard it if anybody isn't aware of it it's a it's a way how you read shakespeare there's a certain repetition that comes with reading shakespeare that makes it easy to read and that helped me a lot mm-hmm. uh i think doing shakespeare challenged me as an actor because it wasn't as easy as just playing the boy next door. It wasn't. It was a lot more simple, a lot more context and a lot of dialogue. So learning all that dialogue, learning the scenes, learning who the character was, it was fun. And, you know, being able to perform uh, off Broadway for family, friends, even a public general public um, and seeing a reception, it was I think it allowed me uh, I won't touch on it too much, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But it helped my self-confidence and self-esteem. And, you know, going into college, I did a couple Shakespeare plays, but I really started to understand acting and I really started to understand theater and how much effort and how much work it went into it. It's been fun. I've loved it. You know, doing off-Broadway theater for schools, productions and and all that good stuff. It it was a great experience. I recommend every actor to do theater because it's really one of those things where You can't mess up. It's a live show. It's a different skill from screen and TV acting. Uh, So it's definitely a skill that you need to work on. It'll, It'll up your game level 100%.
1: I believe that. That's really cool. It's interesting that I never acted. I had this desire and I thought as a kid, I'm an awesome actor. I mean, here I was a trauma hider. So, right, like navigating my life, living the life that I wanted people to see That's one life, right? And then living the internal life of feeling like a piece of shit. So um, I probably had like really excellent acting skills. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) At least I told myself I did. The thing that I I cannot sing, I cannot sing to save my life. So, me neither. um, Don't worry. I can't either. (laughs) Yeah. But that was like, there weren't a lot of, when I was a kid, well, like when I was in school, there weren't a lot of narrative plays. They were all musicals and they were dumb ass dead ass <laughs> uh, <I like> that. <laughs> yeah dead ass okay i did not like like oklahoma and the music that overacting the whole thing i just even as a kid i remember thinking like it would be fun one to be able to sing two to like be in this group thing looks like everybody's having fun and they're going to play practice and there's like pressure and responsibility and I was all about that. But what really bugged me was the way like characters interacted and sang to each other. And it wasn't like just, you know, I'm sweeping the front porch. It was like a whole fucking production (laughs) about sweeping the porch and communicating about sweeping the porch. And I can't be done with that. I don't believe what's happening here. So (laughs) I'm curious about this journey. When you went to the high school for performing arts. Was that a neighborhood school or was that something you had to be chosen to participate in? It
0: was a it was a neighborhood school, but in order to. So normally a lot of performing arts schools like LaGuardia and in mm-hmm. and, and New York, you have to audition for it. Now, this school you don't have to audition for, it, but you also you had to audition for whatever major you wanted. So uh, my school, we had instrumental, we had voice uh, vocal. We had dance, we had theater and you had to audition to get into those programs. Um, and you also had responsibilities as well. So every semester you had to do a production or some uh. sort of, or participate in an event. So you couldn't just be a dancer and just be sitting around all year because yeah. you know, it is a high school and it's it's a perform arts high school. So, you know, um it was like it's It made it so, you know, a lot of people didn't have money to audition for LaGuardia. It wasn't cheap. You know, you're not just walking in there. So this school and many others made it so that, you know, people who are talented or love the arts, but don't have the funds necessarily to afford to audition for these type of schools. We're going to create a space for you as well, which I think is very important.
1: Really cool. So you couldn't go to your school if you didn't have an interest in the perform in some aspect of the performing arts.
0: Right. And, you know, there were some people. It's a journey. You know, some people got into that school or go into performance high schools and they love it and then some other people like it, but eventually they fall out, out of love with it and that happens. And yeah, um, it, it, it's, it's something that every school is going to realize, even if you go to LaGuardia or my school there's going to be certain people along the line that say, you know, it's not for me, you know, yeah. I don't want to be here sure. all
1: day practicing, you know? Sure. I get that. In your neighborhood, was it cool to go to the performing arts school? Like <laughs> <laughs> not, a <shot. laughs>
0: not a shot, not a shot. I no. uh, First of all, my high school was next uh, was near the projects. So uh, we had a lot of gang activity right next door to us. And fortunately, fortunately, in that area, they used to shoot Law and Order all the time. So I used mm. to see Olivia Benson, Detective Stabler, uh, Christopher Maloney all the time. So people understood that we there was perform arts in the area. So eventually we got the reputation. And then also we had a lot of celebrities who were uh, former students at that school. So eventually there got to be some type of uh, respect, you know, because usually yeah. people see performers uh, and they look at them, oh, you nerdy. Oh, you know, you're this and you're that. And it's usually a negative way. But I think eventually seeing, you know, coming to the shows and stuff, people really got into it. So my neighborhood is wasn't exactly a performer arts neighborhood. But I think a lot of those people tend to start enjoying it because they made friends with people in the school or they got to know people in the school and they, you know, therefore started coming and actually experiencing it.
1: So with the neighborhood people, you said if you did. All right. I'm going over there to performing arts. Were your friends like, cool, go you. Or was it like you're leaving the neighborhood and you're going to do a nerdy thing and we might have to bully you? You
0: know, my childhood, I, I for me, I always had a lot of friends up until high school. I had a lot of friends, but I didn't have necessarily friends who I was hanging out with after school all the time. And it was it was kind of like one of those, you know, when we in school, we hang out and stuff like that. But outside of school, everybody's doing their own thing. And yeah, um, most of my, you know, my friends before high school, they didn't really go to perform arts. A lot of them didn't. Um, so and I wasn't really friends with people in my neighborhood, um, mm. mostly just because of my environment. I used to grow up in the project. I used to live in a project. Excuse me. So a lot of the people I knew wasn't that wasn't their thing, you know, they was Mm -hmm. into, you know, other things. So people never really bullied me, uh, support, maybe not, but nobody ever bullied me for
1: it. Okay. So clearly you were supported and encouraged to go to this school and no, 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 (laughs) no. (laughs) Okay. I made up a whole story about, well, when you do a thing, you got people around you who support you. What, What happened there? What was that about?
0: So the way how I got into this high school, so when I was in middle school, I uh, my, my middle school was in Manhattan. So I wanted to stay in Manhattan, even though we was moving to the Bronx mm-hmm. um, at this point. And we had did like a little school play in middle school. And what they do in, in, in New York, I'm not sure about other cities, but what they do is they give you this fat stack, uh, this book of just like thousand pages. And this high school is within different boroughs. So you have one. And um, Manhattan, Brooklyn, the Bronx, and based off my participation in the show, and her understanding, you know, what I liked, I liked Disney Channel at the time. She said, you know, why don't you give performer to a, a, a try? And I liked the school, um, and I've heard good things about it. And I got to visit it before I went. Uh, I applied for it, and that that was it. But my mom, she didn't. Even to this day, my mom don't really care. It's one of those. It's, she views it as a hobby. She don't see it mm. as a long-time profession. Um, she never really came to my place. She mm. never really asked me about it. Um, at first, it rung me the wrong way. Yeah, but it, it was something that made me happy. And I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, I, I don't regret it one bit.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a big family. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. How many? Technically, my real family, I have 13 siblings.
1: 13 siblings. And then you have two younger brothers, is that right?
0: So I I have three younger brothers. Three younger um, brothers. That I lived with when I got put in foster care.
1: Yeah. So the mother who didn't come was your foster mother, but she adopted you, right? Right. Okay. So she, we call that your mother, right? Yeah. Like yeah. We call that. Yeah. 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 So it was you. And the little brothers, or were there other foster kids?
0: It, it was us three. She has two older kids, uh, okay. a lot older than us. And then there was another one I consider my brother still, um, but he was from another family. He came and He was there before we got there, but we all grew up together.
1: Yeah. Right. Nice. So it's, uh, the older ones, were they in the house when you were all there? Most of the time, yeah. My sister and actually,
0: regarding to the support question, she actually liked it because she was performing a lot. She was a dancer and she oh, used nice. to travel with this group. So my older sister was there a lot. My older brother, he was coming and going, you know, they was in the 20s when I was you know, mm. six, seven years old. So I mean, to expect him to be around all the time now. But I think as my mom started working more and stuff like that, you know, somebody had to be around a little more yeah. so. Eventually, as we started getting to teenagers, my older brother started to stay around more often and and watch us when my mom was out and about. And my sister kind of my sister, which is her biological daughter, she was older than her brother. So she kind of started leaving the house more um, as we got older and he started to stay back and and help out. Um, So it it, it was it was it was a decent sized family. My mom still does. Uh, foster care. She's she got a couple kids now. So.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. How old is she?
0: Well, she is 62 years old now.
1: Oh, wow. And she's got like little kids or? Yeah, I
0: think the youngest. Well, one of them, Stella, she adopted. Um, She's eight. And then the other two girls. They are, if I'm not mistaken, two and three, and then she has two other siblings. So the two girls are sisters, and she has two brothers, uh, Fernando and Joshua. Joshua is about still age, so about seven, and Fernando is about 11.
1: Wow. Look at that. A lot of work. (laughs) That's a lot of work. I can imagine two- and three-year-old grandchildren, but not two- and three-year-old kids who are, like, hanging in my house all day long.
0: (laughs) You know what though, and it's it's a touchy subject, but I'm not saying for her, but for some people, the money's worth it. Yeah, know? exactly. So, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. Foster care. What do you want us to know?
0: It's funny. A lot of people don't know I'm adopted. A lot of people don't know I was in a foster care system, yeah. and it's definitely something that, looking back at it, I think some of my trauma comes from my experience. Growing up in that environment. I remember some of my earliest memories was visiting my my real family. Um, Mm. We used to go to a place on 28th Street. I don't remember where the building is per se, but I remember it was 28th Street. And um, I used to see my, my sisters, my mom, and my older brothers there. And eventually it stopped. I think after a couple of visits, it stopped. And I also remember I was about six, my little brother uh, my youngest brother, Jamal, he was just born not too long ago when this happened. But I remember on my way from school, we was in a car and hand that our father died from a heart attack. And yeah, the the visit stopped and mm. growing up in that environment, growing up in the projects, it was it was interesting because so many people started to hear, you know, whispers and, you know, uh, you know, people's opinions start to go on going around and we used to get made fun of because we was foster kids. Mm. Um, you know, we was considered outsiders. We was considered, uh, our families didn't love us. They threw us away. Um, Mm -hmm. and there was some resentment there and you know, it was one of those things where I felt like I never really fit anywhere. I felt like, um, you know, anybody in the name, most of the kids in the neighborhood didn't want to be around me because I wasn't no street kid. I wasn't mm-hmm. out and about in the streets. I was very much into books uh, studying. That's how I think I kind of burrowed through my early years was just getting into education. But in that environment, a lot of those people look at you a certain way, like he's geeky, he's nerdy. Uh, you are not, you know, you're not really black and you know all that stuff. And I never really fit in that crowd. And then when I went to school, it was a, the same thing. Kids was saying, you know, this is adopted mom, uh-huh. you know, mm. and, you know, being, uh, being into my education, um, when I was younger was not considered a cool thing. So everybody yeah. sort of as a white thing. So of as a, you're trying to act well, like a little white boy, um, and, and stuff like that. So for many years I had trouble trying to fit in and it didn't help that it felt like I was missing some of my identity a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of suppressed that because, you know, I had three younger brothers. So for me, I always felt like kind of like a father figure to them. So I tried to, you know, kind of put that to the back of my mind and teach them about, you know, doing homework, uh, reading books. I used to help them read some of my favorite books growing up was Goosebumps, and I still got some. Uh, (laughs) But I used to get them into Goosebumps and, uh, and stuff like that. And then as I got older, I think that for some people and I I try to explain this, you know, when you're a foster kid, some people they still yearn for their family connection, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, you know, reach their real family. Some people don't. I think I was kind of more in the sense that I don't really care, you know, I'm just trying to do what I got to do. Um and that as we got older that became a reality where people felt resentment of the situation. Like we felt like, you know, some some of my brothers felt like They weren't getting the love and support Mm. that they felt like they was getting. uh, They needed, Um, and I was just like one of those. I'm going to leave at some point, so I'm. You know, it's going to be something I just put away. Um, And it was hard. It it was uh, up until even today. I still have kind of a strained relationship, kind of, with my dada man, just because I've seen certain things I wasn't a fan of. Uh, I didn't like certain of treatments that I got as a kid. Um, and even my real family, there's a lot of trauma and police getting called and stuff on that end, mm. too. So it's like at this point, I don't really care. You know, I'm just kind of doing my own thing. And, yeah. you know, it, took, it I, I'm not going to lie. There's been times where my older brother died two years ago. There was times where I actually sat down and, you know, cried a little bit and, you mm-hmm. know, talked about some of my feelings, but it, it's been one of those things where I think when I got more comfortable in my own self identity, it stopped bothering me as much.
1: Mm, I hear that. Um, Was your, when you talk about like the way you were treated, was it a strict or a loose environment?
0: It was strict. I remember okay. it, it was something um, that, you know, I was six years old when I went into foster care and I don't remember too much about pre before that where I used to live and my environment there. But I do remember some instances of, you know, my dad was usually gone because he was in the military mm. um, and I used to just be out and about and enjoy myself. I don't remember every detail. So and I wasn't when I went to foster care, I lacked certain skills that six-year-olds needed so i you know i got left behind a grade mm. um my going to the ba- stuff like going to the bathroom was mm-hmm. something that um i was still having trouble with we was filthy we would you know we weren't well groomed mm. so it was a skill that i had to learn and i think instead of the the love and appreciation mm-hmm. of trying to help it was a severe discipline punishment you know beatings and stuff like that and yeah you know as i got to understand my mom's background i i kind of understand why she did it you know that way but as a kid you don't think like that you think you know why am i always getting beat like this and right and one of the things for me that used to bother me was i was never a cry i was always one to hold my emotions in So sometimes I used to get beat until she saw a tear come out of my face and then she stopped. So it was stuff like that where it was like trying to get that emotion out of me that, Mm. you know, some of that resentment, you know, comes from too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I'm curious. Today, you're in touch with your bio family. Are you or I talked to a few
0: of them. I talked to a few of them. Uh, A lot of them, you know, when we went to First Kid, the younger kids, some of them also got split up too. So two of my older brothers went to different families, and uh, the older, older ones stayed together for the most part, but over the years with everybody being separated and stuff, Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of issues going on, and, you know, it's something I've tried to explore in high school, and even in college, I just stopped caring, Um, but I do talk to some of my brothers, uh, one of my sisters, but most of the time, most of my family, I don't really talk to at this point. It's kind of uh, I don't hate nobody. I don't resent nobody. But are we going out for a coffee tomorrow? No.
1: Yeah. Got it. What when it came to books and uh, and learning, what was it? Was it the was it the discipline at home that said, like, be a lifelong learner? Or was this, or was this like you and you had that in you? I. I'm going to learn. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to keep my head down and I'm going to get the hell out one day.
0: I think for me, I think it was being, being able to get lost outside of Mm -hmm. reality. And you know, that's why goosebumps even to this day. Yeah. I still read them because for me, it was being able to be at home and, still be feeling like I was in a whole nother universe mm-hmm.
1: was Helpful. beautiful for me. Yeah. And
0: it's, it inspired me also to write, get into writing mm. um, and read other things, but it was being able to escape reality for a little bit. and really just enjoy the stories. I used to, you know, when I was a kid, I used to visualize these stories as I was reading them. And yeah. so I didn't, you know, someone was yelling or someone was getting beat. I didn't, I didn't hear it. Cause for me, I was lost in that. um and i think because of that i've also allowed myself to be creative so around that time when i started getting into books i got into chess and you know i got i got a master at my community center there was a master who used to teach chess and he he took me under his wing and i got into that too so naturally i think from reading then going to writing then going to chess i think it allowed me to really understand the points of education and, Mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that so um, do you still I, play chess? I still chess? goosebumps. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I would love to play more often. The problem is people don't play enough anymore. Yeah. People don't play enough anymore. I, and the people I do play, I watch them in five minutes. So it's like, you know, do you uh, play in the park? You know, I actually haven't played in a park in New York City before.
1: Um, that might be cool. It would be. I, I that should... whole vibe is so cool. Like it's so it's so it's such a throwback.
0: It is. And, you yeah. know, it's sad though. You know, it's one, I think there are occasionally I'll go run into parks where I'll see the older generation out mm-hmm. there still playing, but most people don't play chess no more. Um, yeah. and that's why a lot of parks now don't put them in there. or i right. taking them down because they, they see no value in it. So it's definitely something, hopefully, you know, I can get people involved again. I think cell phones has ruined it.
1: Yeah, I know. You can just play on your phone. You don't need a human.
0: That's true. Yeah,
1: yeah. It does sort of suck. Yeah. So, are you in? Are you in a production now? I'm actually. I'm I'm shooting a project this Saturday. It's
0: from it's from a YouTube channel I worked with before many times. But in terms of acting stuff, I'm I'm still waiting to hear back from a couple of things. I might. Mm. If I do get this one project, I'll be shooting it next week. But the industry is slow right now because of uh, the writer strike, right? And, you know AI, uh, yeah. So it's it's still auditionist. I'm I've been blessed, luckily, to still audition for stuff. But nice. It's probably gonna be a slow next couple months. So yeah. it'll be nice to just get my life in order, figure out a couple of things, and then just take this next couple months, especially with the summer, enjoying myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's say it's the end of the summer. Okay. And we know there's a writer's strike. So things are gonna go kind of slowly. But let's say it's you know it's Labor Day weekend and you're with a friend and you say, Oh, this was such a great summer. Tell me what happened.
0: I'm at a place now where and I, I wish I did this earlier, you know, early 20s, but I never really enjoyed myself. Mm. Uh so this is the first time I'm actually going on vacation. Uh, I'm doing traveling, um, going on road trips. I'm actually enjoying the summer. I'm not just working all weekend when everybody else is having fun. And I've also been able to advance my acting career too. So it's a, a, uh, for me, the summer is going to be a great aspect in the thing in a way that I'm going to do things I never thought I would actually do. You know, driving 12 hours sounds like a chore to most people, but I'm excited, you know. Um, going to you know visiting different states and um, doing uh, going on vacation for a week, uh, taking time off. That's something I don't do, especially in this industry. It's hard to do that because you don't want to miss an opportunity and stuff like that. So it's it's going to be one great summer, even if it's slow acting wise. You know what? Yeah, I'm still busy. I'm still creating content. I'm still doing other stuff. So this is really a time for me to really just re-energize myself and find purpose mm. and, and doing other stuff too.
1: Yeah. So nice. So what, if I were to answer the question for you, cause you answered it with a lot of detail, but not in the spirit of the way I asked it. This is where I dead ass give you the smackdown. Uh, it's the act in me. It's not my fault. Yeah, yeah, And this is the mother in me. Also the executive and leadership coach who says, answer the question the way I asked it. Okay. So here's what I heard you say. I took time off. I saw new places. I relaxed. I rejuvenated. I am at peace. That was
0: perfect. It was like AI. Took the text. It was was like
1: chat KGB, my initials. (laughs) Yeah. All I did was sort of distill down what it was you were saying. Yeah. So remember this, when you turn to your friend on Labor Day weekend, right? Like this could be the goal, the vision for the perfect summer. I took time off. I saw new places. I relaxed. I rejuvenated. I'm at peace. Although that, my friend might be drunk when I tell him that. Your friend might be I'll drunk, but dead ass man being at peace. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, and, you know, it's. It, I wish I
1: hope other people.
0: It's something that I think a lot more people need to, you know, and this yeah. hustle and bustle nature of yeah. life. We sometimes forget to just be peaceful and enjoy life. You know, it's yeah. hard to sometimes. So being able to finally do that, it's going to be fantastic.
1: Yeah. I love tell me before we go, how is it you're able to do that? What changed in your life? Like why you're 28. Why? Why can you do this now? Are you do you know like what it is that's different?
0: I would say for the last nine years, my life has been dedicated to acting. Everything surrounds it. The way I live surrounds it. It's something, you know, during the pandemic, which I was a huge fan of, not so much of the deaths, obviously, but right. I was a fan of things slowing down. Yeah, I really I remember I had a conversation with my, my roommate about this, former roommate about this, where I was always miserable because I felt like I was stagnant. I, you know, I wasn't able to go out and enjoy stuff. Uh, I was always just waiting for the next opportunity. I wasn't, you know, going out and going to mm. bars and just enjoying life. And I think now I'm at that point where it's like, OK, I'm still in my 20s and I'm wasting my youth uh, as much as I love acting. But I'm I'm wasting my time chasing something, mm. which I, that makes me happy. But at the same time, I'm also losing the memories that other people are gaining. And, and it's definitely something that I think now. I'm starting to really appreciate and understand that, hey, you know, time is money, you know, time is precious, you know, and, you know, my older brother passing away. It it really is just one day, you know, things could just end. And Mm -hmm. what do you want your last memory to be? So now I'm actually trying to prioritize enjoying life and being able to say no to certain things. I want to go on vacation. I want to take a break. Um, That's not something I've had in my vocabulary ever. And I think it's an important thing too. I think we get so used to that wheel that eventually, at some point, even the hamster running that wheel gets tired and you need to refocus and you need to take time off. And I'd rather do it now than when I'm older and, you know, my responsibilities are a little more. And it's really hard to take that initiative to take time off like that. So I think it's a youthful thing. I think I don't want to look back and like, man, I wasted all my youth acting like a fool, you know, just Mm -hmm. working and, you know, being miserable. So.
1: Yeah. A lot of people waste a lot of their adulthood and the rest of their lives doing that. Right. Just working and being miserable. So it's, it's, I want to acknowledge you. What I'm hearing you say is that with perspective and wisdom, and insight, right? The perspective of your brother died and we had the, pan- the pandemic, the wisdom, you're now 28 and the insight that you have about yourself and about who you are in the world, you made the decision to stop living over there, right? Like always chasing a thing, Right. to stop living over there and to be where you are, which is present in this life, in this moment. And that's how we get to choose ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. And that is fucking amazing. Dead fucking ass. <laughs> that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. <laughs> yep. This has been this has been a great conversation. What has been most helpful for you being in the Trauma Hiders Club?
0: You know, actually, for me, being helpful is, and it's the most easiest thing, it's finally talking about stuff. Yeah. I think we usually don't have someone we can talk to most people they don't right. have someone who wants to listen to their their, their troubles or what's going on yeah. and i think now we're at a point in society too where mental health is a really big thing yeah and i think people are now starting to understand there's so much trauma that many people have and it's you know bottled up and nobody's letting it out, which is why negativity is breathing in the air mm. so often. So just being able to sit down and talk about it and share my story, because oftentimes yeah. for me, people look at me like a douchebag, a tool job. He's filling mm-hmm. himself and people don't know that I've had. I didn't have an easy life too, mm-hmm. you know, and share my story, share my perspective on things and share my trauma. Yeah, hopefully inspires other people to realize, hey, I can do it, too. And someone is out there to listen. And that's right. You know, that that's the most important thing. There's always somebody out there who's willing to listen to your story. It may not you don't have to look like me to have a story. You know, as long as you're willing to share it, somebody's out there to listen to it.
1: Yes, you're so right. Even if one person of the millions of people who are going to listen to the show, if one person listens and sees something open, some portal, some access, some something for themselves that they never saw before. Your work here is done. And before we
0: go, I just want to share this real quick thing. I know this girl who she came to my podcast and she was one of those girls, many people say, oh, look at her. I want to be like her. She's Mm -hmm. very attractive. And Mm -hmm. she had a lot of trauma too. And Mm -hmm. even though I'm not you know, the traumas club per se. Yeah. But we had a conversation on certain, you know, issues, health issues and life issues and stuff. And her episode, she didn't think nobody cared. She didn't Mm. think anybody was going to listen. She didn't think her voice didn't matter. And it turned out her episode was one of my It's probably my highest viewed episode ever. And it's because. She allowed herself and I got to give credit to myself because I think I helped, but. It was the willingness to share her story and realize there's other people out there who have that same experience or mm. are going through something even worse, and they just looking for other people who understand what they're going through right. or how someone cope with that and made and got to the point where they are. So, yeah. I, I really my if, if if people skip to the end of this episode, skip to the end of this conversation. If this anything you take away from, just remember. You have a voice, don't be afraid to use it.
1: Nice, I love that. I wanna acknowledge you, which I don't always do on this show, but I wanna acknowledge you, one, for us reaching out to one another, for the commitment that you are, for the hope that you bring, and for the love that you have, that you're willing to show and share with other people. I'm really happy that we had this conversation. And I want you to know I really believe in you.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot.
1: You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club head over to karengolfingerbaker.com.